Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Brian, one of the associate pastors, and I'll be preaching on a gospel passage from Matthew. Uh, For the whole month of August, we're going to be hanging out in Matthew's gospel, looking at key moments in Jesus' ministry, and see what that means for us as a church and individuals, and how we are to react to this. And so today, we are going to be learning and hearing from the story called Feeding the 5,000. So it's going to be Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. So I invite you to stand as you're able in honor and reading of the gospel passage today. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. But they replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to the heavens, blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over the broken pieces and the twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the miracle of the resurrection are the only two miracles mentioned in all four Gospels. So this story is important. That's why we're starting out with it. You know, the Gospels give an eyewitness account to the ministry of Jesus through the perspective of those who, who proclaim that Gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar They have some differences, but John's kind of way out there. But all four contain the resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. So this this passage is very, very important. But in order to understand what is happening here, you got to back up a little bit. Because the first verse, if you didn't catch it, may sound a little confusing. Because, like, what's happening? It says in verse 13, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. What is this? Well, if you read different translations, it will say, now when Jesus heard about John, okay, this is the NRSV translation, so it says this, but when he heard about John, he withdrew. So which John are we talking about? There's a couple in the Bible that are pretty big names. This is John the Baptist. So when he heard about John, John the Baptist, his cousin, the one that baptized him, the one that proclaimed the coming of Jesus, when he heard about John, he withdrew. What did he hear? What had just happened to John the Baptist? All right. And so if you back up a little bit, you'd hear that John the Baptist was executed in a cruel, unnecessary way. But even before that scene, even before you hear of your cousin, the one that proclaimed you being executed in a cruel and unusual way, you back up even further what happened in the 13th chapter. Jesus went to his hometown, Nazareth, to proclaim the good news, to perform miracles. But guess what? He was refused by his hometown. They refused to accept him as the Messiah. They said, this is Jesus, the one we grew up with, we knew as a child, acting like he's the son of God. No, he's not. 
So he was rejected by his hometown. And then he hears the execution of John the Baptist. He had a pretty rough week, wouldn't you say? A pretty rough week. So you have to understand all of this that's going on before in Jesus' ministry and what's going on in his life to understand now when he had heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. I don't know about you, but when you're having a bad week, when I'm having a bad week, one of the ways I cope with that is like, I want to get away. I want to get away and take a break. I want to go through my thoughts, click myself, and decompress. So Jesus was going to decompress. We forget today in 21st century modern society that Jesus was divine and human. He feels the same way we feel after a bad week when you've got some bad news. And so he's going to deal with that trauma in ways that we deal with that trauma. And he retreats. He goes to a deserted place. And so here we are. We find this scene where Jesus is now getting in a boat and going across some water just to get away. Now, why was John the Baptist executed? What was, what was happening? Who is Herod and how did he play a part in all of this? When Rome comes and conquers an area, they'll set, they'll set up a, a, a province of Rome and put a governor over a region. But that governor will then elect people himself that he can trust from the local population to run the town as long as they stay loyal to Rome. Because the citizens can have their own Rome-approved religions and their own Rome-approved rulers as long as they pay taxes and don't rebel. Okay, That's how they kind of kept people under their control. So Rome and the governor of this province of Palestine, they picked, and Judah, they picked Herod from the people to rule over them, someone kind of familiar. Now Herod was not a devout Jew. But he knew the faith, knew a little bit about the festivals and the traditions of it. So he could kind of understand the people in that area and what they, how they worship. But Herod was a puppet of Rome who was there to be loyal to Rome and keep the peace. John the Baptist had quite a following. He had his own disciples. He got a lot of attention just like Jesus did. And so Herod knew he needed to keep John the Baptist kind of under his thumb a little bit. But if he did anything to John the Baptist, there might be a rebellion of his followers. So he didn't want to get rid of them completely. So what he did was he kept John the Baptist a little bit under his thumb. But John the Baptist had something that he didn't like about Herod. You see, Herod took his brother's wife as his own. And his brother's wife was his niece. It was this weird connected family dynamic that did not fit into the laws of the tradition of the Jews. And John the Baptist knew this and called Herod out. He said, your wife Herodias is your brother's wife, but he was, she's actually the niece of both of y'all. This is all wrong. You need to not have this relationship, especially being the leader of the Jewish people, the puppet leader of the Jewish people. You don't need to have this toxic marriage that does not fit in with our laws and customs. So John the Baptist called Herod out on it, and Herod kind of let it slide. Remember, he didn't want to get too many people angry at him because John was popular but you know who didn't like John the Baptist? The wife of Herod, Herodias. So John the Baptist got arrested. And he was in a prison. But that's where Herod wanted to keep him. But Herodias had a plot to get John killed. Because he was calling out their marriage as illegitimate and wrong and sinful. Well, one day Herod had a big old birthday. And being the king, puppet king of the area, he had a big old banquet, right? And if you're going to host a banquet, you're going to invite a lot of guests over. And your goal as the, as the host is to be generous. Have lavish foods and drinks and entertainment. Be the happy-go-lucky king and make everybody like you. So he had this big old banquet in his honor. 
Herodias had a daughter who would perform a beautiful dance for the guest. And everybody was in awe. And Herod, showing his generosity, said, Come here, child. As you dance beautifully for everybody, I'll give you anything you want in this kingdom. I'll give you half of this kingdom of mine. And so she went over to her mom, Herodias, and said, What should I ask for? Here's the moment. She said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So she went to Herod and said, I want the head of John the Baptist on the platter. So Herod was caught. He's going to have to actually have John the Baptist killed. And he did. He sent the executioner who came and got John the Baptist's head and brought it on the platter at his birthday banquet. This is what Jesus found out. This is what the crowds in the towns heard about. They needed to get away. And so you have Jesus get on the boat to get away and to clear his head. But when he went ashore, it says in verse 14, he saw that great crowd that left the towns and he had compassion for them. He cured them. And then when evening came, they were there for a while. His disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. There's no way they can get food here. The hour's getting late. Send them away to the villages so they can go take care of themselves. But Jesus responded, they need not to go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus had compassion. He had compassion to care for the people who in their confusion and grief were seeking something. And when they heard that Jesus was out in this deserted place, they left everything, didn't take enough food with them. They just went walking. They just went walking towards Jesus, not knowing to what to expect, but just to go to him. And y'all, Jesus was tired. The last thing he needed was to figure out what to do with 5,000 men plus women and children after a week like that. I can tell you at the end of my day when I'm tired and I'm ready to decompress and I sit on the couch, the last thing I want to be told is like, hey, can you get off the couch and go do this for me? I really don't want to, family member that's asked me to go do this thing. You can go do it yourself, but I just sat down, but I'll go do it. And I'll go do it and I'll sit down in five more minutes. Another family member will come, hey, can you help me with this? Fine. And I hate that about myself. I wish I'd be more like Jesus and have compassion than frustration at the end of the day. But I'm human. He gets it. You know, in our moments of tired and weakness, we, we have very little for compassion for others. But here our Savior who really needed a break from the trauma of the weeks that he's had. He knew his people were hurting too. And so he had compassion on them. And so when they were there, they were being cured. There was people who were sick amongst them. There were people who had great needs, and he stayed with them until the late hour. And then it came time for them to eat. It was getting late. The disciples were getting nervous, too. Because what you had here was a group of 5,000 men, women, and children who were hungry, confused, sad. I bet some were angry at what was happening. What Jesus could have done... With 5,000 plus how many more? He could have marched into town. He could have marched right up to Herod and said, come out and address us or we're going to overthrow you. He could have had an army on his hands. His disciples knew this. They were nervous. They said, you better disperse this crowd because they're getting hungry. They're emotional. Send them into town. Make them go find something to eat. We don't want to deal with this. We don't want to deal with this. But Jesus looked at him and said, no, you do it. You're my disciple. 
You see me perform miracles. You see me do things. You go do it. And then, of course, their response was, but Jesus, we only got very little. We got five loaves of bread, two, two fish. And then Jesus was, bring them to me. He looked up. He told the crowds, sit down. That's important. I don't know how many of y'all do, but at the end of the day, I eat a lot of my meals standing up at the counter. Okay? But you also can sit down to eat. And you know what happens when you sit down to eat? There's usually more involved with that, right? You're getting settled for a moment. You're getting your napkin and your utensils. You're sitting down. That means you're not going to be getting up for a while. You're going to have a banquet. Jesus said, you know, we're not going to just do a quick service meal right here with you guys. We're just not going to just throw some bread like Lambert's throw rolls and some fishes and send you on your way. I want you to sit down. We're going to be here for a minute. And so they sat down. And they had a banquet. And so what the disciples then, after he, did, he told them to sit down, he looked up, broke the loaves and the fish and blessed them and gave them back to the disciples for the disciples to hand out. You see, Jesus, the only thing that he actually did here was just bless the elements of the fish and the bread. But the disciples were the ones that actually did the work. The miracles performed through them. They're the ones that kept handing it out, kept handing it out. Oh my gosh, kept handing it out. Jesus didn't do that. He empowered them to go and to serve those that came. And everybody was provided for. Everybody had a meal together. Everybody sat down. This banquet is a direct opposite of the banquet of Herod's. Herod's birthday banquet was full of lust, hatred, murder, the lack of compassion... The banquet of Jesus and disciples full of love, healing, and compassion. And inclusiveness of all who wanted to come. Two difference. There's a reason why you had the two different banquet stories there. There's a reason why Jesus said, sit down. This is going to be a different type of banquet than what we all just heard about. Jesus, in his moments of grief, and his moments of being tired, still served those that were seeking him. He is, and they are God, the good father. Way better than any earthly father can be. And then this moment of the breaking of the bread, it highlights communion. It highlights the love and grace of Jesus through these elements. Early church communion liturgy did not mention the, the blood and the breaking of the bread of the Last Supper. It mentioned fish. It mentioned loaves of bread. Early church looked at communion through the lens of the feeding of the 5,000, of love and compassion. The fish was an early symbol of, of Christianity, not the cross. Love and compassion, provision is what you have. And so what you get here is that they all ate. They were all filled. They took up the 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. And now those who have eaten were about 5,000 plus men and women. We just know there's a lot of people there. There are many scenes in the Bible that you can recreate with the few actors that are there. This is one that would be pretty hard to do. You need about 15,000 people there to make this scene just like it was when it played out. And what we have here is that Jesus is teaching the disciples that there is a lot of hurt and trauma in the world. We all have our own hurt and trauma in the world. And we can carry that with us or we can carry it to Christ. And what Jesus shows us here is that those that come to him will be provided for. 
that he feels a pain that they feel as well. And that your pains, Jesus understands. And as we are his disciples, and we carry our own pain, we still are also called to go and do it ourselves too. As a church, as individuals, we are called to also serve those in need. If we are going to say we are Christian and we are disciple, just like how these disciples want to send them away, just like we have individuals that sometimes we want to kind of send away, and Jesus is like, no, 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 you do it. One of my responsibilities here at the church is that I receive our friends from the community that come in looking for assistance. There are people who know that St. Matthew's, when they have resources available, will provide for them, in, whether it's food or gas or whatever, pay utilities. And there are some days where I've got time to come and receive them. There are some days where I'm really busy. I've got to make that phone call. I've got to go to that appointment. I've got to plan my sermon. I've got to answer that email. Whatever it is. And without fail, when I'm ready to go and go out and meet somebody or go do that, guess who's coming to the church? Brian, someone's coming here. They need help with food. And my first instinct is very human. <sighs> I've got to be somewhere. I've got to do this. This is the moment where Jesus speaks to me and says, you know what? Make time for them for whatever reason. We have those moments. We have those moments where we're called upon and we're like, but I got to go do this. But we need to look at this scene here and we need to go and do it ourselves. One thing I love about the New Testament that makes it really beautiful is that it also has a lot of parallels to the Old Testament. And there are many commentators and theologians that said, when you read the feeding of the 5,000, there's a lot of parallel to a very famous psalm that we hear. It is Psalm 23. A psalm often you hear at funerals. But listen to Psalm 23 with the understanding of the feeding of the 5,000. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Tell them to sit down. He leads me beside still waters, as there was water from the boat that Jesus came across. He restored my soul, leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though we have just heard that John the Baptist was killed. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's probably some enemies within that 5,000 plus women and children. There were probably some disagreements among the crowd personally, but yet they sat down. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. The baskets were full. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you hear Psalm 23, you hear about the provisions that... God provides for us. And you see that play out here in the feeding of the 5,000. And so today, as we are sitting here in church, we bring with us many troubles. We bring with us many conflicts. Many of us are tired and sad and confused and angry. Many of us don't agree with each other. But yet we are all called together Jesus welcome us all and will provide for us all. So wherever we are in our own life, wherever this church is in its life, may we not forget the fact that Jesus will welcome us in our need and he can also still use us 
to serve and love others. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, as we are here worshiping you today, may we remember this message. May we remember Jesus in his trials and his tiredness, Lord. He still with his compassion loved his people, called his disciples to serve them. So may we bring all of our trials and troubles to Christ, but Lord, may he continue to use us as vessels of his love and grace and mercy so they can feel his compassion. Father, we just ask for forgiveness for where we fail you. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. And I think it's very appropriate that we hear about the feeding of the 5,000 as we prepare ourselves to receive communion. As I said, communion used to be remembered actually through the feeding of the 5,000 instead of the Last Supper. But I think there's a lot of connections in the two as well. Because at the Last Supper, Christ ultimately gave up his physical body for us so that we can be reconnected to God, as we can be reconnected to each other.